0: What is going on, Restoration family? Hope you are doing well. My name is Nate Huss, and I'm one of the team members here at Restoration. So glad that you could join us. And if this is your first time, welcome. So glad that you could tune in. This week, we jump into a new series called Liturgy, as we journey through different elements of a gathering that lead us both to unity with our King and unity with one another.
1: Hey, thank you so much for uh, joining us this morning as... Actually, Nate didn't say that. That'd be weird. If you are new, my name is Landon, and I am uh, also just grateful to be one of the team members here. Hopefully, this setup is working out well and provides a little bit more shade. We're going to uh, continue in our gathering by diving into uh, God's Word. And then after, we'll clean a tiny bit of this up and fire up the grills and just share uh, in a meal together. And so we're excited to do that and have the bounce house for the, the kids. Uh, this morning, we're going to start a new series, and I don't, I don't know if you have ever asked yourself this qu- question as you come to gather as the church on a Sunday morning, why am I doing this? Uh, have you ever wondered, like, is this actually worth it? Because if you think about it, you are making some kind of exchange right now. You could be perhaps still asleep, <clears throat> or maybe at a nice brunch, or just spending time with family and friends. There's a lot of options and a lot of things to do, especially on a holiday weekend, but for some reason you chose to be here, and I'm curious if you've ever actually weighed that cost, or do you just show up for some reason? Do you ever wonder like, is this actually of value enough to keep doing this? Do you ever honestly just go, I'm gonna wrestle with that and make a decision And thinking about this, I was processing my trips to the grocery store for my family. And I've recognized that it's kind of dangerous to go to the grocery store if I don't know what it is that I'm looking for. If my wife doesn't give me a very specific list, I spend about three times more money, three times more of the amount than I should. And I come home with about half of what is actually needed. And usually there's some like beer and ice cream and chips and the, the kids and I are happy, but my wife is not super thrilled about the list. Again, it's It's not going to go well if you don't know what you're looking for. We get distracted by other things. We're not pursuing what is right and good. And so we're going to start a series this morning for the next six weeks while we're outside about our liturgy. And and liturgy is just a fancy word to say the things that we do when we gather together as the church on a Sunday morning Our singing songs, confession, taking communion here later today, being in God's word, giving. Those are the, the aspects that make up our liturgy together on a Sunday morning. And maybe you've wondered about a certain one of those. Why do we do this? Or why do we do that? Or why do we not do this or that this morning? we're going to just dive in and press into that question. What actually are we looking for? What actually makes this worth it? Or maybe it isn't. And so that's what we're going to spend some time discussing this morning. And I've asked Nate to, uh, to help me. We've... Together, Nate and I meet every Wednesday, I think it was, and have all kinds of discussions. Nate and I are both pretty passionate people, so sometimes they're, they're heated, most often they're friendly. And uh, a couple of weeks ago, we got into a really good, healthy discussion on this topic, and so I've invited Nate to, to press in with me because I'm fairly convinced that there are many of us here today that show up on a Sunday morning not looking for the right thing or perhaps not even knowing at all while we're here. And I think it's important if we're going to actually make an exchange of our time, of our resources, instead of doing other things to know, why are we here? What are we doing? And so uh, we're going to go ahead and press into that. Right out of the gate, I want to read just uh, a couple of scriptures. I'm going to start in John chapter 6, uh, verse 32 through 37, and it says this. Jesus said to them, I assure you, Moses did not give you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the real bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the one, the person who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They, his disciples, and everyone else that was there said, sir, give us this bread always. I am the bread of life, Jesus told them. I am the bread of life. No one who comes to me will ever be hungry and no one who believes in me will ever be thirsty again. But as I told you, you've seen me and yet do not believe. Everyone the Father gives me will come to me and the one who comes to me, I will never cast out. One more chapter uh, further in John chapter seven, we read uh, something similar uh, from Jesus as he's talking about thirst and and looking for thirst. Nourishment, looking for health, looking for life. And so I'll read out of uh, John chapter 7 as well. We read this John chapter 7, if you have a Bible, verses 37. And thirty eight on the last and most important day of the festival. So it was a holiday, but kind of uh, like today, but different because it's it's purely religious. On the last and most important day of the festival, Jesus stood up and cried out so that everyone could hear. If anyone at all is thirsty, he should come to me and drink. The one who believes in me, as the scripture has said, will have streams of living water flow from deep within him. He said this about the Spirit. Those who believed in Jesus were going to receive the spirit for the spirit had not yet been received because Jesus had not yet been glorified. And then one last passage out of Matthew, Jesus speaking here as well in chapter 11, verses 28 through 30. And listen again for the theme here. What is consistent and what Jesus is telling the people that are are following him. Chapter 11, verses 28 uh, through 30 says this, Jesus speaking, come to me. All of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. All of you, take up my yoke and learn from me, because I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for yourselves. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Do you see it in what Jesus is communicating? There's only one reason for us to gather, to draw near, to come together on a Sunday morning, and it is to draw near to his presence. I think, I think so often we get really confused in our Christianity because our, our culture prioritizes transactions. If you pay attention to the the conversations you have, so many of them will be about transactions. It could be real estate transactions. It could be about cryptocurrency, things the governments are doing, checks we get, whatever it might be. But so much, so many of our conversations are about transactions. And so what unintentionally happens is our conversations when it comes to following our Jesus end up being about transactions. But never once has Christianity, our following of Yahweh God, been about a transaction. It has always been about a person. Not even the transaction of the cross is what our faith is about, but rather it's about the person who gave his life up on the cross. And we oftentimes unintentionally get it confused. And so we pursue the transaction and focus on that instead of following the person that our God is. We draw near into the presence of Jesus, and Nate and I were talking about how easy it is yeah. to not take seriously or value uh, drawing near to his presence.
0: Yeah, I think it's a challenge, and it's I, kind of a silly example, but I think about maybe you as a parent can relate, or maybe when you were a kid, you can remember these moments um, where your kid yells and goes, hey, daddy, mommy, come here, come look at this, and you're like sitting on the couch after a long day's work, and you're tired, and you're like, what is it? And they're like, it's a folded piece of paper. And you're like, you folded a piece of paper? And they're like, yeah, come look at it. And you're like, I don't think so.
1: <laughs>
0: I'm not going to get up for a piece of paper. But the irony is, and the funny thing is, is that we, we fixate on that piece of paper, that moment of the paper, and on the, on the person of our, who our child is, that proximity or that moment with them, right? And so me getting up after a long day and walking into the other room to, to literally see a piece of paper folded in half, It's not revolutionary, but I'm validating and I'm valuing them. Yeah. That's what the king does for us. We constantly are bringing these random things before him and he comes and he meets us regardless, even though maybe they don't really hold that much value, but to us, it is a folded piece of paper, you know, but then we flip it. Right. And we have this other shift where sometimes our eyes trick us. We trust our eyes too much. And so Sometimes, and I think about uh, us as, as believers, we have these opportunities of living into presence, living in the kingdom at a really high level. But oftentimes when we see moments, we see them as folded pieces of paper and it disinterests it disinterest us. And what we don't realize is that it's so much more than a folded piece of paper. When we sing songs, it's so much more than a song. When we do confession, it's so much more than confession. When we take communion together in unity its so much more than just communion. It's just more than just grape juice and a cracker, right? And so how do we shift our eyes to see when the king is presenting something and we see it as a folded piece of paper, how do we, how do we value it for what the king sees it as?
1: Yeah, it's not even good enough to say this is about God. You're going to hear often from our team that we don't even use that word a whole lot. We'll use it, but we're going to primarily try to utilize God's names of Yahweh, of Jesus, of spirit, because otherwise what ends up happening is we're referring to an idea that saves us through a transaction. And that's easy. It's natural, but it's not right. That's not as valuable as being with the person that our God is. God is a title. It's not a name. And so I want to read also our final passage and our, our primary passage today is Hebrews chapter 10. And if you've read Hebrews before, it's, it's fairly heady. It is packed with the Old Testament uh, literature and quotes and foundation within it. And so there, there might be some complexity in here. We'll explain a little bit of it though, reading, uh, beginning in verse 19, the author of Hebrews states, therefore, brothers, Since we have boldness to enter the sanctuary through the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way he has opened for us through the curtain that is his flesh, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, and our bodies washed in pure water. Let us hold on to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful." And let us be concerned about one another in order to promote love and good works, not staying away from our worship meetings, as some habitually do, but encouraging each other and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Here's a brief summary in case that passage is a little bit complicated, which it is. Basically, it's saying this. This is unbelievably overly simplistic, but it's saying something great happened, so do something, Something great happened, so do something. I'm going to break it down into two parts. Verses 1 through 18 explain it in detail about the Old Testament Hebrew sacrificial system. And we don't have time to go into it today, not because it's boring. It is actually incredibly beautiful and impressive, God's whole plan for humanity. But this morning, the key is the why, not the how. And so there's one key that we need to focus in on. It says this, "'Therefore, brothers, since we have boldness "'to enter the sanctuary through the blood of Jesus, "'and since we have a great high priest "'over the house of God, let us draw near. "'By a new and living way, "'he has opened for us through the curtain.'" So in the Old Testament, in the the original temple, there were different layers, we talked about this a few weeks ago, that you could enter or not into. And at the deepest, most core center of the temple is what was called the Holy of Holies. And nobody was allowed in there except for the high priest, one man, and even he was only allowed in there once a year on the Day of Atonement. One man, once a year. And do you know what was in the Holy of Holies? Is the presence of God the person of God, his being, who he is, his essence was actually in that place. And only one man and the entire world was allowed to enter through the curtain and into that place to be with God in that way. Even he, the one man, only one day a year, okay? The issue was nobody was allowed to be fully in the presence of God. And then yet we read something very different here in Hebrews, speaking of this transition Therefore, since we have boldness, not only now are we allowed to enter, there's something great that has happened is we can now be into the the presence in proximity to God himself, but we can do so with boldness to enter the sanctuary through the blood of Jesus by a new and living way he has opened for us through the curtain. There was a physical curtain torn when Jesus was on the cross. That is his flesh. And since we have a great high priest, Jesus, over the house of God. Okay, part one, real simple, right? Something great happened. Part two, also simple. So do something. And that's explained to us here in verse 22. What do we do since we now have been granted access? Let us draw near. Because we now can do what they were not able to do for so long. Let us draw near. The you will say, let us not give up meeting together. It's interesting how much we take for granted the access that we've been given to God himself. Oftentimes, we just don't care. Oftentimes, we actually don't value it that much. I want to break down for uh, just a, a few minutes the way in which we are to draw near. Let us draw near, first and foremost, with a true heart. This idea of a a true heart does not mean a perfect heart, as Kate said earlier, because you and I are all in the same boat. It does not mean with a holy heart. It means true. It means sincere. The uh, Expositor's Bible Commentary I was reading this week put it this way. It's an open, transparent genuineness toward God and a robust trust in his promises. Here's what it means. It means being vulnerable and authentic. I remember Ron in a sermon, probably about seven years ago, actually, was teaching on prayer and about the times when we don't want to pray. And he said, just start by telling God, I don't want to pray. And that has been one of the most impactful things in my life. I pray that all the time. I just say, hey, Jesus, I'm sorry, but I don't feel like talking to you right now. And I've not been struck with lightning yet. So that's, that's a plus. And then Ron continued to say, and you know what? All of a sudden you're praying. And then the canyon, the chasm in between me and him, often because I felt like I needed to do something to make up for the distance between me and him, it's gone because in that I recognized he already made up the distance. A true and a sincere heart is a heart that just says, here I am, God, and I am flawed and I am broken and I am selfish, but I'm here because you said you love me. Let us draw near with a true heart And it says, in full assurance of faith. That doesn't mean with perfect faith. That doesn't mean that we don't have any doubts or questions or we don't even turn around sometimes. What it's saying has absolutely nothing to do with us, actually, and our faith. What it has to do is his work and his love and his faith. So we have a full assurance, not that I'll do anything or continue to follow even, but that he will guide and lead us forward. We start to see that everything in this passage is centered on the person, not the transaction, but a person who is trustworthy always, no matter the moment. Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith. Our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed in pure water. That's a reference to the Old Testament uh, ritual cleaning. So it's saying we're now clean, we're righteous before God. Then verse 23, let us hold on to the confession of our hope without wavering. The, the image I have here, I was actually a little bit sick last week and it was harder to breathe than normal. And so when I would walk around and try to corral my four kids that feel like a small army, sometimes all of a sudden I would be out of breath and I would set my hand down and just catch my breath for a second. It's saying not that type of walking, not that type of wavering or needing to stop, but walk boldly forward. Not because you've done anything good, not because he doesn't know about the bad, but because he's already paid the price. Because he is love and he says you are desired from person to person. God is person to the person you are that he created. Let us hold on to the confession of our hope without wavering. Why? Here's the key. For he who promised is faithful, not because we've done anything. And let us be concerned about one another in order to promote love and good works. This is what the church should be known for. Not our doctrine, not the things we want to argue about, but let us spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Let us care for one another to promote love and good works. Not so that God will love us, but because he already has. Verse 25, not staying away, or the NIV says, not giving up on our worship meetings, as some habitually do, but encouraging each other and all the more as we see the day drawing near. Something great has happened that we often take for granted. But you and I, because of the love of Christ, have been given access. Not to a God that is almighty and a God that knows everything and a God that is savior and a God that is king, but to Jesus the king, to a person, to a person that loves you and I, that has plans for you, that is restoring brokenness to beautiful, that is making us human the way we were made to be. So let us draw near together. On a Sunday morning, the why behind everything we do is singular. There's one reason. It's because we've been granted access to the presence of God. I can't do anything to help you. As great as Nate sings and the band plays, they can't do anything to help you. Our elders, as godly of men as they are, our staff, as hard as they work, they can't do a single thing to help you. And you cannot do a single thing to help you. But Jesus already has. And so the one thing we do is we draw near together. That's why I've given myself to this vocation. In spite of the, the days I don't want to, in spite of if I think it's good or not, it is worthy because of who he is. And so, back to liturgy. The Father has provided some specific ways all throughout the scriptures to invite us to draw near to him together. And the together is a key. This is not written to individuals. It literally says together. Drawing near individually is not nearly as valuable as drawing near together. Jesus is not your personal Lord and Savior. That doesn't exist. He is our Lord and Savior. And so we draw near together. And he said that in confession and saying, God, you're trustworthy with my sin, and communion and saying, your body and blood united to us by the power of the Spirit and giving in generosity and practicing trusting him with what we care for most our finances and listening to his word and gathering together he will meet us here and we think that's worthy of drawing near together anything you want to add to that lots do it
0: no i don't um This tension that we live in, and we're about to skip into this space, but we, I don't think we always, at least I, I will say that I don't always grasp the reality of how powerful and impactful it is that we can stand in this space and the presence of God is actually living and breathing now. Historically that wasn't the case that there was this this process this journey of sacrifice of blood being shed of this once a year atonement this this journey that they had to go through but today us we as one body it says when two or more are gathered what's loosed in heaven is loosed on earth what's bound in heaven is bound on earth there's something that's really powerful about acknowledging the reality that he is living breathing and present now which then shifts into this really powerful thing where we, as the body, get to stand in unity. It's something that's really important I think we miss. And when Lannon talks about um, the personal Lord and Savior, we live in a culture that's so individualized, right? Ron talked about it last week. You drive up to your house, drive into your car. Before you even get out of your car, you push the garage button, get out, and then the garage door defaults and starts going up and you're like, ah, no, don't go down, right? Because we, we're so individualized in our culture, Right? And we think about our faith in the same way that it's between me and the Lord. But he actually calls us to something greater, something bigger. He says, confess your sins one to another. That seems ludicrous. I don't really want to talk about my sins to everybody. But no, when we're a part of a body where there's trust, when the Holy Spirit is a part of it, we confess one to another. There's something that's powerful about the unity of the body because Jesus has already paid the price. And now we get to join in in a journey where we don't forsake the gathering. We continue to get together. We share in hospitality. We break bread and we eat because there's something powerful about us being brothers and sisters in Christ together. Um, And Paul talks about when we gather, we sing songs, psalms, and spiritual songs to encourage, to equip, to admonish each other. We do it to encourage each other. We think that God's upstairs sometimes as a narcissist saying, tell me how awesome I am. Why do we repeat that line? Is God a narcissist? No, but we sing it because we need to believe it. Have you ever been in a space where you've showed up sometimes maybe for worship or you went to a random worship concert or something, or maybe you turn on the radio with some friends and somebody in that space harnesses the power of that moment and enters into worship fully. And it's like a spark is lit in the middle of the desert and that fire just spreads. We have a We have something that's powerful within us when we join in unity, where we can encourage and equip each other. One of the biggest impacts for my life, um, coming out of a pretty dark season was a friend of mine, um, sharing a story. They, their, their, their baby died, um, and it was a devastating loss. Um, they had been trying for years, finally got pregnant, had the baby, the baby passed away, and, um... They're sharing how in that moment, that following week, they, they went to a worship gathering and the wife was standing in the back and the whole room was just lit up with worship and acknowledging how good God is and how gracious he is and how kind he is. And she was standing in the back and she says, no, he's not. He's taken my son. He's taken my son. And she, standing in the back and she's weeping and she's frustrated. And the body is worshiping and continuing to praise and acknowledge and speak truth. And the overwhelming power and presence of those songs, the word of, of, of gospel that is coming out, begin to press out. And her whole world was transformed that night. Because even in brokenness, he's still good. Even in trial, he is still good. But when we stay in our individual bubble as our personal Lord and Savior, we miss the reality that he is king over all, and we as the body are the bride, not us as an individual. We as the body are the bride. He is the groom, and so there's this power that we have of being together as one, acknowledging king, savior, daddy, healer, but then also Through our mouths, through our worship, we get to encourage, equip each other, admonish each other, challenge each other to move forward, to hold on to faith, even in the brokest of moments.
1: He doesn't need to hear his own word. He doesn't need to hear us sing. He doesn't need for us to confess or to give or to gather together. We need that. And beyond just need, there's a level of of delight, actually, in the person of God. You don't delight in a transaction, but you can delight in a person. And I think we miss that. As Nate and I were talking, I had this kind of image, if you will, of us being invited and and being given a reservation, a table, at the most incredible restaurant in the entire world. It's hands down the number one rated, without question, restaurant in the world. And we have a, a standing weekly table at this restaurant. And the chef himself has invited us to weekly come to his restaurant, and the bill is paid week after week after week, and we know that. And what I'm speaking of is the church as a whole, not Restoration Church, but the church at large, any follower of Jesus gathering with the church. And we come to this table week after week that before we never had the clout to get into. We never could have got a table at this restaurant. We didn't have enough money to ever order anything at this restaurant, but the bill's been paid, and we've been given a spot and a table. And we show up, and week after week after week, we just have the same appetizer.
0: That cheese bread's good, though. It's good, but that's it. <laughs> cheese bread's the thing. Is
1: that, is that I it? guess today I don't ever order oh, it. But I've never I guess seen you order thing. cheese bread. I was going to say like wings or something, but cheese bread. It's true. All right. I'll Can order you you, if that was I'll it. order you some yeah. cheese bread next time we go out.
0: I appreciate that. Yeah, you're welcome.
1: But we never explore. I I think of God as the chef that has created everything. He declared, it is good, it is good, it is good. And then there's this subliminal thing that we don't catch. It is good and it is for us. We miss that. He wants you to delight in all that he's created. And we miss that. My, My encouragement to you and to myself, to our team, let's begin to delight and who God is. As we gather here, let's know why we're gathering. It isn't because he needs us to. It's not a, a weekly guilt relief valve to just kind of deal with some spiritual things. That's not worth it. That's just not like, spend your Sunday morning better. It's only worth it if we're coming to enter into the presence of our God together.
0: I wrote this little thing this week. Um, we were like emailing back and forth. My wife ended up in the hospital. Landon was sick. We were trying to not get each other sick, and I was trying to be with my wife, and so we were doing a lot of emailing. And, um, but I wrote something down that I just wanted to read really quick. Um, the power of us stepping into liturgy selflessly and fully is actually one of the most powerful ways of sharing the gospel. The power of raising our voices, reading scripture, acknowledging the word as one, can give way to the spirit to do miraculous things in and around us purely by our posture of submission and participation. And I think about those moments in some of my most broken seasons. Maybe you've experienced this where you just feel empty. You show up, and you're wanting to be sincere. You're wanting to be true. And so you're coming with that brokenness. And somebody walks up and just says, I love you, and gives you a big hug. Right? They love you well. It says that by our love, they will know him the way we love each other. When we raise our voices in singing song. And so what does it look like when we come to the table as a body, whether it's here at Restoration, whether it's at another church, whether it's at some corporate whatever thing, it doesn't matter, when we gather as a body, what does it look like to be fully present as you are, with all of your brokenness, with all of your mess, to be fully present? Um, The power of us standing in unity can absolutely transform and change lives, not because we're doing the changing, but because we're allowing ourselves to be vessels that are pouring out and impacting the people that are around us. And how do we join in in that? So when we sing songs, why don't you sing? Or why do you sing? Is it about you? What if you don't like the song? That's okay. we got Spotify and Apple Music and all sorts of ways. You can listen to all of the cool songs that you absolutely love on your drive. But when we gather, we sing as one because it's about the body. What if we don't read your scripture? That's okay. The word is still living and breathing and good. What if communion isn't done exactly the way that you used to growing up? It's okay. It's still about unity. It's still about oneness with the king. And the bread and the wine is still there to transform and change lives.
1: We'll spend uh, the next five weeks in the series breaking down kind of in more detail what, what is communion and why do we do it every week? Uh, why do we sing in more depth? What, what actually is God's word? Like, that's a churchy statement. What does that mean? We'll talk about giving uh, and, and the components of our liturgy in each of these five weeks. Uh,
0: do you think we could hire that crow to come and, sing on the uh, worship probably. week?
1: He, he's not quite as good as you, but can he, he could help. That?
0: We're going to go ahead and continue
1: to, to worship now by taking communion. This is something we do every week, and uh, just about every week we say that this is the only true application uh, to any sermon, is not to go do something. It is not a five-step plan, because then it's about us. It's about coming to our God, accepting the sacrifice he made in his invitation of love to be with us. Uh-oh. I'll kind of close us with this this quick story that I've shared. This time of year is always special to me, especially this week. Uh, I've shared this before, but I will always remember and cherish the last day of school because not only was it the last day of school, but our family would always go to Lake Pleasant for the day. And so... I remember looking at the clock and just longing for that final bell to ring. And finally it would. And then me and my sister, a few friends would get in the truck. The boat would be on the trailer and we'd make it the hour and a half or whatever it was down to Lake Pleasant. And then another 30 minutes or so to, to get the cover off and to get the boat in the water. And then my dad would run up and then run back down after he got the, the trailer and truck dropped off. And then you have to go through the no wake zone if you're familiar with it. And it feels like it takes eternity because you can't go very fast. And you're looking at the buoys like, come on. And then finally we get through and my dad would floor it and the wind's just blowing in your hair. And it's Phoenix at this time of year, so it is hot. Like, it's real hot. And I liked that. We'd finally get to a little cove, right? And then we'd stop. So the wind's not cooling you down. And I'd wait just long enough till I was a little bit miserable in the hot. Like, how hot you are now times, I don't know, like 15, 20 degrees. And you wait like, okay, it's really hot. And then we'd jump. And you'd start at the back of the boat and you'd sprint to the front and plant your foot on the bow and then just jump as high and far as you can. And at the last second, tilt your head in and your feet are above you. And there's nothing like that initial submersion when your head goes in. And it doesn't matter how hot it is or how warm the water is. It's still shocking when you go in. And then your whole body is covered and blanketed and wrapped in the water. And I would let go of everything. Nothing matters. School doesn't matter. People don't matter. You're just in this perfection and peace of the lake. And I forget everything, and then be like, oh, yeah, I should probably breathe. And so you uh, come back to the surface. But that's my encouragement. Right now, my, my kids are just beginning to experience the lake for the first time. And sometimes they'll, they'll jump in and, and surf and swim or do whatever it is. Other times they won't because they're, they're afraid, or it's not worth it, actually. Whatever the fear is of jumping in is too much. It's more than the value of what they might experience. And sometimes that's what we do. Little do they know all of the joy that's just there if we dive in. And so my encouragement to you today is to dive in. And if you are a uh, a follower of Jesus, then communion is here for you. When we take communion, we are... being unified by the power of the Spirit with the body and the blood of Christ, with the person of Jesus, not just the idea of God, so that as we gather, we're reminded of his presence. and Then as we leave, we know that we don't leave alone, but he goes with us. So if you're a follower of Jesus, we invite you to the table during this next song. We're going to close with two songs, then we'll eat and celebrate and just be hospitable and enjoy time together as the church. But uh, during this time, feel free to, to step forward, to take communion and worship together in response.
0: Thank you so much for joining us. We are Restoration Church. And if this is your first time joining us, welcome. We're so glad that you were able to tune in. My name is Nate Huss, and I'm one of the team members here at Restoration. And uh, if you would like to learn more, please go to restorationaz.org. And as always, remember, Jesus is the only one who is trustworthy always, no matter the moment. So press on as we continue to practice the way of Jesus.